I'm gonna um, I'm gonna start us and I'm gonna keep playing this song until you all love it. <laughs> Saturday, the sci-fi book club, honey, could we ask for more? Welcome back, universe, to the SFBCPC. That's an abbreviation for Sci-Fi Book Club Podcast. We're coming to you live from Bone Shaker Books on 23rd Avenue in beautiful Minneapolis, Minnesota. On today's app, we will be talking about A Wrinkle in Time, written by Madeline Langle in Earth Year 1962. I am your host, Brent Aldrich, and with me as always, via holographic projection, is my co-host, Mr. John Love. Hi, John. Hey, Brent. And also joining us, it's Giles. Hi, Giles. Hi. Hi. Hello. So I, we have a jam-packed show, and I feel like we just need to get directly to um, everyone's favorite segment. Let's read the last page. Woo! <laughs> uh, Giles, uh, are you ready to read the last page? Yep. You want an intro song? What? <laughs> but they never learned what it was that Miss What's-It, Miss Who, and Miss Witch had to do for there. There were there was a gust of wind and they were gone. Now, Giles, what did uh, what did you think about that last that last paragraph? Because I know you haven't read the full book yet. So, um, you know, what what are your thoughts? I I feel like it, I I want to like read the whole book, um, and. It's like, and I also want to read the next book, so yeah. What about the book after that, the third book? Would you like to read that? Uh, yeah. Um, well, I'd have to see the ending. Like, if if it was like the the Hitchhiker's Guide, Mm. like where um it keeps going on, I I would I would like to like probably read it but if it just really ends up the subject i'd pro- i'd probably just stop what about if it was like um what if it was like those narnia books where um uh first you get these awesome kids going through a wardrobe and they're in another world have you read those no okay i'm just gonna say by the end you get a whole new cast of characters and the characters that uh, came off the page into our hearts you kind of forget about okay so no no, and this has been no on Narnia. <laughs> Everyone's favorite segment. Uh, all right, Brent. Um, what's what's next? Are we going into uh, five word synopsis? Yeah. Are you prepared to give a five word synopsis of I, this book, John? I am, as long as you're prepared to do a thirty word uh, intro song. 
30 word. Giles, can you keep track of how many words I say in this intro song? All right, they're gonna come fast and quick, so be ready to count them on your fingers, okay? It's everybody's favorite segment. Driving down the cars that are made of pavement. That's where we record everybody's favorite segment that I now have to rhyme one more time. Lament. How many words am I at? How many words am I at, Giles? Uh. And that's been your 30 word <laughs> intro song to the five word synopsis. <laughs> All right. That's a five words synopsis, John. Uh, yes, five words or less. It's going to be five total words. And I feel like I have to always mention when there's a comma. So here we go. Dad. Tesseract. Dark thing. It's one word or two. Uh, sorry. Dad, comma. Tesseract, comma. Dark thing, comma. Love. That's been your five words synopsis or less. I think we had to make an addendum last week where it could be or less. We only got into four words with Frankenstein or the modern Prometheus. Definitely. Uh, so should we now go into the segment where we make the previous segment worthless and expound upon the five word synopsis? Here's how I'd like to get to that. Has anyone else in this room read A Wrinkle in Time? By applause. The, the hand raising works really great on podcasts. We've got two people up. Is anyone prepared to give a longer synopsis of A Wrinkle in Time? I feel like I'm getting a lot of Minnesota yeses out there, <laughs> which is when you shake your head, no. <laughs> I gave bullet points, though. So, you, I mean, you have a great starting point between dad, comma, tesseract, comma, dark thing, comma, and love. All right, Branson, it's up to you. <laughs> I'm both prepared to give the exegesis of this. So, uh, just to clarify, though, is... I feel like dad came up in another uh, synopsis. Is there any punctuation after that? Uh, not this time. Okay. Okay, uh, so in A Wrinkle in Time, I'm going to give a synopsis based on five word or less synopsis. So uh, the father, Mr. Murray, in this whole book is missing. He's gone. Um, that's sort of where we enter with his children, Meg, Charles Wallace, the Lamo twins, and uh, that's all his kids. Uh, they've got a dog and a cat, too. Dog gets a name, cat doesn't. Think about it. Pretty messed up. Uh, but um, so the father's gone. Uh, we don't know where exactly he's gone. The mother seems to know something. Uh, the kids don't. Uh, but then we find out about this cool thing called a tesseract. Um, if you've seen Interstellar, just they explain it pretty good too. Uh, you can travel through the fifth dimension uh, quicker than traveling at the speed of light uh, because you just wrinkle the old time. Hence the name. Uh, Dark Thang. I said dark thing. Dark thing. Okay. Uh, no problem. Okay. Uh, dark thing. Stick to the script. Uh, dark thing. Dark thing. Thanks, Charles. Uh, we see that there's a dark thing that has been uh, casting a shadow over several worlds. Earth is shadowed. Uh, there are other planets that have been completely given over to the dark thing, and we go to that planet and meet it and meet some of the um, creatures and peoples. Uh, under the control of the dark thing. But at the end of the day, love saves everyone. Thank you. And that's been the exegesis. <laughs> and that's been perfectly placed sound effect by Giles. Woo! Uh, and that's been the exegesis of the five-word synopsis. Thank you.
John, had you read this book before? I had not. Okay. I read it a very long time ago, maybe multiple times. Um, and so the first thing I want to say is going back to this much, much later in the future, um, it was an interesting one to me for several reasons, which we'll get into in a moment. Uh, I am curious, though, of other people in this room who have read this book, is it, is, is it one that people read when they're young? Or have you read it as adults? Have you? Yeah? No, yeah? Did you ever read it in the back? Yeah. 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 Like elementary. Okay. Okay. I would say that was probably the first time I read it. I probably read it in middle school again. Uh, I'm reading it now, and I'm super old because I'm from the future. Um, and uh, and it, it was very different, and yet, um, I, you know, by the time I got into it, um, I plowed right through it and wanted to, like, get to the exciting conclusion. It wasn't like, it wasn't like some books I think I've maybe read and revisited and then thought like, ugh, not, not that great actually, it turns out. Um, this one I think uh, stuck with it and kind of loved it. And then also, um, there, there was so much of this book that for me when I read it the very first time or maybe later in middle school eras, uh, the visuals in this book for whatever reason, the characters, the settings just stuck in my head in such a way that few books have in an interesting way. And I think that that's partly just like super descriptive language, maybe because it partly is written for like a little bit younger audience. Um, but I, I think that there were visuals in here that stuck with me ever since. So, um, and maybe because there hasn't, I don't think, been any like movie adaptation that I've seen, you know, like like a Hobbit that is pretty visually strong. I don't know. Yeah, we got word from several people today out on the ice of uh, White Bear Lake that there is potentially movie adaptation in the works. So, uh, yeah, we can crush our imaginations yep. once that happens. I feel like we should get into True Minnesotan Corner. Oh, yeah. Um, and maybe so, uh, a good, sorry, maybe a good segue would be the people who have read this book. Uh, get them on, give their impressions briefly, and then True Minnesotan Corner. Their impressions of Minnesotans? Yeah. Obviously, impressions uh, of each other. So, um, for those of you who have or haven't been here, uh, John and I are not from here. We are from 900 years in the future, and we accidentally crash landed in 2017. We're trying to come to 2027, but um, we landed this time by accident. So, we uh, I have at least a lot of questions about Minnesota, and I feel like we've got a lot of those answered in the past several episodes. Um, I, I'm curious uh, of of who we have in the room. Well. We're going to bring anyone up, but are, are, there, are there people here who are, would say are true Minnesotans, are, uh, are born and bred, uh, love that Minnesota? Yeah? Would you answer? Would you want to come up and – we're going to find out if you are a true Minnesotan first. Come on down. It's a true Minnesotan corner. What's your name? I'm Allison. Allison. Um, so you're from Minnesota. I am. Where from? South of Minneapolis. Oh, my lake <laughs> I heard you have 30,000 lakes. Um, is, I'm getting a lot of love for Lake Calhoun out there. Um, is, um, do you still live nearby there, or are you in Minneapolis still? I'm still in Minneapolis. Um, I do, I had to live by a lake when I moved back, so we are over by Lake Nicholas now. Which one is the best of those? Oh, I still best love, lake. well, I still love, I love Lake Calhoun, but I think Lake of the Isles is Pretty awesome. Where's that one? That's just north of Lake Calhoun. It's connected. 
Giles, what's your favorite lake? Um, I, I, I am not a true Minnesotan. <gasps> he gets. I, I, but I, I, but, but I do, but my, I would say my favorite lake, um, would rather be, um, well, I'll, um, hmm, let me think about this. All right, we'll put a pin in it. We'll get back to you on that. Although, Giles, are you prepared to, um, play, uh, how many lakes can you name? Are you, are you, come on down. Pull the chair, pull the chair. Yeah, you can both do that. Thank you. Perfect. What's your name? Eula. Eula. Gotta write these down. I'm forgetting all of them. Um, okay, so uh, is this your mother? Yeah. Okay. Are you two prepared to... Face each other, and how many lakes can you name? She's going to win. It's a quick fire game, okay? Here's what happens. Um, we're gonna, Aaron, can we get a, a, a D6 or something? And just to see who goes first. Uh, and how, the way this game works is you have to go back and forth naming lakes. There's 30,000 of them, I heard. And uh, whoever, whoever can't think of a lake first, well, we'll lose. <laughs> And the winner will get a delicious prize package from Corellin Sweet Tea. It's the sweetest tea in the galaxy. Sip. We might also have a sci-fi book or something to give you. I think we might. And we're back. <laughs> All right, so you're just going to roll to see who goes first. That's a four. Pretty good. That's a two. Hey You get to go first. So this is just yeah, you name a lake, then you name a lake back okay. and forth. Lake Calhoun? Uh White Bear Lake. Lake of the Isles. Harriet. Lake Minnetonka. Nokomis. Little Long Lake. Pearl. Pretty sure. <laughs> we also have no way of verifying these things. <laughs> Just keep making stuff up. Diamond lake. Oh, yeah, diamond, diamond. Diamond. <laughs> diamond. Oh. Lake Minnetrista. Hiawatha. Uh, oh, Minnewiska. Um. Lake Huron. Lake Superior. Uh oh! Oh, and that's play the uh, play the. Uh... No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Beulah. You've been defeated. You are the reigning champ. Better look next time on how many licks can you name? All right, maybe you can still be a supporting role in um my questions about Minnesota. Um, what? Where do you live? Um, I live. Now, are you in, what city are you in? Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Is it okay? Yeah, I like it. There's a lot of places to go, it's fun. Do you think that you could draw the Minnesota State flag to prove that you're a Minnesotan? Uh, no, because I do not study Minnesota. Could anyone here th think they could draw it? Hint, it has your state seal on it. There is no, what? Mm -hmm. 
Yes, there is a Saint Seal. I learned about it in kindergarten. I studied Washington. Okay. Were you in Washington? What do you mean? Why are we said Washington? Uh, well, so in class we got to pick a state to study, and I picked Washington because I used to live in Washington, but it was just pretty cool, and I wanted to know more stuff about it. What's one Washington fact? Uh, that the state fished in the steelhead trap. Love those kind of facts. Been true Washingtonian corner. All right. My cat got eaten by a cougar. All right. Dun, dun, dun! Your cat got eaten by a cougar? Yeah, so I. We, um. This was a. It was. How many months ago? Four months ago, probably. So my cat. There's a cougar that swam over to the island that my dad lives on, because. So this cougar swam over, and it was going around the island. And where my dad lives, it's like really, there's a lot of trees, and so it was kind of a nice place for the cougar to hunt, and my cat Fred was out outside, uh, just at night, and the, I guess the cougar just came to meet him. In Washington? Yeah. Wow. In Vashon Island. <laughs> dawn, dawn, dawn! <laughs> so, we've, we, I feel like, I'm, we're going to get to these Minnesota questions, but I feel like in the past, um... <laughs> In the past several weeks, we've, we've been learning all these facts about states. Um, Amy, don't leave, because there's a segment we need to ask you some questions about. I'm just going to get a cinnamon roll. Okay, that's fine. Uh, so uh, two weeks ago, uh, so we got a great story about Washington. Uh, Washington flora, fauna, fauna. Animals are fauna. Plants are flora. Is that right? Thank you. Uh, two weeks ago, though, we learned about, um, we learned that in Arizona... Uh, the bullfrogs are overrunning all of the native species. And, uh, but we also found out that um, what you can do in Arizona is hunt those bullfrogs with a trident, which now brings us to everyone's favorite segment, Hunt That Bullfrog With A Trident! <laughs> Don't worry. Here's the thing. In the future, frogs are super important, but um, yes. the bullfrogs, there's actually this bullfrog uh, rebel contingent that has declared war on the rest of the frogs. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually here in Minneapolis, the, um, the, uh, the, 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 the frog liberation movement actually starts in a few years, so it, it works out. But Amy, I was wondering if you could, um, if you could demonstrate for us, and then we'll, we'll, we'll play... Hunt that bullfrog with a trident. If you could, uh, I brought the, I brought, a, I brought a trident. Okay. What? Yeah, no, yeah, I've yeah. actually never done this, but I've seen, I've seen the technique. It's okay. pretty simple. Okay. Okay. So, oh, that's so cute. I also learned that uh, when you're hunting bullfrogs, that's actually that's called. I kill a bullfrog. These ones are huge. A frog gig, which is offensive to frog performers. Sorry, you literally just get a boat. Like, uh... Okay. Well, you ready? Oh, we have a frog too. Yeah, yeah. I brought all these bullfrogs. So, so if you wanna, if you could. Demonstrate, and then we're gonna we're gonna have a, a contest to see who can who can uh, who can hunt us. Okay, you ready to do this? Yeah. So here's your bullfrog. You ready? Yeah, it's gonna yeah, jump. It's gonna jump. Yeah. yeah, that's how you hunt a bullfrog with a trident. Did you guys see how that was done? First try. Got it. First, first try. try. Who thinks? Who thinks? Who thinks they can hunt? That's yours to keep. Me. Yeah. Okay, Giles, come on down, Giles. Take your trident. 
You ready to hunt that bullfrog with the trident? You ready? I hope you watched how that was done. Oh, no. <laughs> I'll accept that that was the 360 spin move. Bullfrog hunting technique. Dealer, you're ready to hunt a bullfrog with a trident. Okay. We're gonna need that trident, Giles. You can have it later. <laughs> Maybe. You ready? It's gonna jump. Oh, here comes, here comes another one. They're, they're coming fast and furious. Too fast, too furious, some would say. Did you get that one? All right, that counts. You got it, you got it. Keep a, keep a bullfrog. Come on down, ladies. You ready to hunt some bullfrogs with some tridents? Okay. I don't know about this. It's coming right at you. Okay, I'm coming. I'm ready. Yeah! Yes! First try. Got him. One more. One more. Here it comes. Oh, you're out. Three strikes and you're out. Four strikes and you're out. Five, six. All right. That's been Hunt That Bullfrog with a Trident. Everyone's favorite very visual bit that's on a podcast. Okay. How, why did St. Paul get to be the capital? Um, you know, I, I'm thinking about like, Illinois, everybody assumes that Chicago would be the capital because it's like the big city. So, do you know why St. Paul got to be it and not Minneapolis? I don't. As Minneapolis is apparently not better. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any guesses? Giles, did you learn about that in kindergarten? No. I think it was great. Who knows? <laughs> great answer. I want to know the reason. We'll try. We'll try again next week. St. Paul, like, never, like, did people start moving to Minneapolis, and then it got people started building other cities, and then it just populated more. We we believe it. Yeah. I, know. I know St. Paul used to be called Pig's Eye. What? We heard that. I think on the first one. I think we heard that the first uh, live podcast we did here. I don't know if we got a strong reasoning for that, but uh, all right. Um, I also asked, and I um, I didn't, well, let's see. I am curious. Like, we asked a little bit. We heard a little bit of that pig's eye history. Um, do you know any other just early history? Why are there two of them right next to each other? No, but I've heard. They didn't used to be right next to each other. They built towards each other. Oh. And then they got ne- connected by highways, which was actually a whole other drop. Follow-up question, is there a place you can stand with one foot in St. Paul and one foot in Minneapolis? I think it's an unmarked border, but if you use Google Earth, maybe over where Surly is, by the light rail? Yeah. Up there on University? The two stops between Prospect Park and Westgate, one's Minneapolis, one's St. Paul. So somewhere on that train ride. Okay. See if we can find it for next week. Um, so, is Land of Lakes Butter from Minnesota? It is. Yeah. Alright. <laughs> you know the trick about how you can fold the box to make the meat? Oh, yeah. You want to explain that? I feel like people don't know. I do know. The universe needs to know. Confusing. It's just like... You... So the maiden's knees, if you fold them up and make some adjustments with an exacto knife to her top, her knees become another part of her anatomy. <laughs> Do you think that was intentional by some graphic designer, like a frustrated designer who wanted to really get back at Land of Lakes Butter? 
Maybe. Or do you think that was seven year olds? I think it was seven year olds. <laughs> Sixth grade boys, probably. Check it out. Um, <laughs> what's the deal, Minneapolis, with your street numbering? You have like one, two, three, four, five street, one, two, three, four, five avenue. But the great thing about Minneapolis is that streets go through the alphabet twice. Do you know about that? No. That is Can you explain so your streets? awesome. <laughs> So if you're so if you're an Abbott, then the next week Beard, then Chowan, then Drew, then Ewing. So you can figure out. How long can you keep going? You, well, you can go through the alphabet twice. What's F? France. G. Gillard. H. There's actually, I mean, there's. They go through the alphabet and then twice. Again. So you don't know H. We stumped her. <laughs> Dang it. Wow. But then there's also some. There's, you know, there's also kind of him sort in there. So there are some anomalies mm. where. It's, doesn't quite go. Nice. And streets run east and west, avenues north and south. Okay. Everybody's learned something tonight. But that's not true with all cities. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, this, this is the only city we've been to, well, I guess besides White Bear Lake. Um, in, in, yeah, on Earth and in this time. Okay, this is good so to know. I keep asking this, but I, cause I want some good answers. So we keep hearing, so like when we were up in White Bear Lake, their little motto is, or what is it, tagline? I can't get this right. Uh, le- legends, legends and, and lakes. Lakes, lakes and legends. I went to Lake Monster Brewing, and nobody could tell me anything about Lake Monsters. Does anybody know a Minnesota legend? Paul Bunyan? Did we talk about Paul Bunyan? Am I just getting surly about this? Maybe. Paul Bunyan is something real. Let's hear about it. Let's hear the story of Paul Bunyan. Family effort. I mean, there's a lumberjack with the blue ox. I don't remember all of it. Let's go one sentence at a time. Allison. Paul, Paul Bunyan was a lumberjack. Beulah. He had a blue ox that I think. He spray-painted blue. <laughs> oh, Giles. I don't know anything. <laughs> That's been a Minnesota legend, told by a lovely Minnesotan family. Can we get, um, can we get, um, and we have to have the two right people in the crowd for this. I don't know if we'll have it or not. I'd like to get, like, a, a point-counterpoint on Prairie Home Companion. I want a pro voice and a con voice. Can we do that? Does somebody here love it and someone here hate it? I didn't understand it until I went to college. Okay. Um, what I would refer to as little college on the prairie. So, growing <laughs> up in Minneapolis, program companion did not make any sense to a city girl. And once I got out to rural Minnesota, I all suddenly found the place. Okay. Follow-up question. What is north of White Bear Lake? Anything? Duluth? <laughs> Canada. Canada. Okay. Uh, that's about all my Minnesota questions for this week. All right, that's been True Minnesotan Corner. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think that we should talk a little bit about the book now, uh, which brings me to, well, okay. So I have to preface this, and then we'll go into everyone's favorite segment. So this book, I feel like, was a pretty thinly veiled metaphor for the reason why American individualism is preferable to communism. Uh, So it's time for everyone's favorite segment, Giles on Communism. (laughs) 
<laughs> hey, Giles. What? What do you think about communism? I don't know what it is. And that's been everyone's favorite segment, <laughs> Giles on communism. Um, okay, so, let's see, yeah, where do we get into this book then? <laughs> Oof. Well, uh, it's time for everyone's favorite segment, your listener challenge. Ooh, ooh. Uh, welcome back to Listener Challenge, the universe's favorite numerically based game show that you can't possibly win. Uh, I'm your host, John Love. With me, as always, Brent Aldrich and guest guest host, Giles. Hey, Brent and Giles. Hi, John. Uh, all right. So on your listener challenge, uh, Mrs. Whatsit who is one of the main, uh, well, a main character in this book, she lets us know exactly how old she is. Uh, your listener challenge is to prove that the number I'm about to say is the wrong answer. Uh, it won't be. So here we go. Uh, Mrs. What's it is exactly 2,379,152,497 years, eight months, and three days old. That is according to your calendar, which I like that bit. Uh, yep, so um, I guess I should also preface this for our new uh, listeners and guests. I am something of a bigot against people who have more or less than two legs, so that's going to make what I'm about to say make maybe a little bit more sense. Uh, it doesn't make me a good person, though. Uh, all right, <laughs> so thanks for playing your listener challenge. This listener challenge brought to you by Corellin Sweet Tea. It's the sweetest tea in the galaxy. Sip. Uh, make sure to spay and neuter your pets and cut two of their legs off. And we're back. <laughs> All right. So um, when, when we got into this book, like I said, I'd read it before. I have a vague outline of the story in my head. But I think especially now, John, coming off of uh, a full season of 20 sci-fi books or so, and then being back here with a few more, I think that I have a different perspective on it than I had as, you know, a child, for instance. Um First of all, I, I would say that that How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe, which we podcasted here at Bone Shaker two weeks ago, there's, I think, an interesting corollary there in terms of both are centered around this this uh, father character who's gone missing uh, and the child or, or child of that father's search to find this father, right? And so with that How to Live Safely book, uh, it's centered around this character Charles Yu, who, whose father disappeared in a time machine. He doesn't exactly know where to, where to get him, where to find him. And, and so this narrative almost devolves around that. In this one, again, we don't see this, um, this character until almost the very end. But um, you have these kids, mostly Meg, uh, who becomes, say, the hero of this story. And, um, and, and her father is gone somewhere. And, and the details of that are very vague early on. But... I think there's some interesting similarities and differences in how that's structured and in um, how the like protagonist in Meg, in this case, as compared to Charles Yu, deals with that search or realizes that or the kind of person it makes them into. Uh, yep, you nailed it. Uh, that's Ben. Yep, you nailed it. Yeah. Now, um, yeah, I agree. I mean, there's definitely the similarity where they both sort of get lost in time. I think maybe the difference that we learn later on in this book is what happens to, uh, or, or the, the relative, 
um, intelligence or understanding of the father. So in the Charles Yu book, um, the, his father invents the time machine. And in this one, um, in A Wrinkle in Time, the, um, the Murray father uh, is actually kind of a guinea pig who tests out this tesseract technology which allows him to travel through uh, time and space and then gets sort of absorbed or almost absorbed by the dark thing or it which is the main antagonist in this book yeah and in both of those so charles Yu searching for that that father character and when and, and sort of stakes everything on it right to the point where he gets stuck in this time loop and things happen over and over and over again to him to a point where he as a character almost can't move forward any longer. So he becomes, yeah, completely trapped. Um, in this one, there's a moment in particular, page 189 in my copy, where Meg has just found her father then, and, um, and there's this idea that, in, in her mind, once she found him, um, like, everything would be resolved, right? But what, in fact, happens, I'm just going to audiobook this, it says, if the long search for her father was ended, and he wasn't able to overcome all their difficulties, then there was nothing to guarantee that it would all come out all right in the end. And, and so I think that she hits a similar moment where she could very easily, that, that could end it, the story could end there, or she could get trapped in, in that moment. But in fact, you know, then we continue to move on for another 50 plus pages uh, where she really like comes into her own as, as a hero character. Yeah, definitely. I think Charles Yu in the, the previous book, almost because he, I mean, he seems really hung up on the fact that he can't find his father and he's a little bit older maybe. And he also jumps into these time machines and can see other versions of himself. So kind of knows a whole lot about him from even viewing himself from a real third person perspective. But um, our protagonist Meg in this book really does become the hero and is you know, kind of still writing her own story in a big way and so pushes past the fact that finding her father didn't solve everything and, um, yeah, really comes into her own and becomes, like, the hero who really does save the day in this book, for sure. Yeah, the thing, I think, when I read this book the first time, and, and still now, we, uh, uh, you know, I was, well, talk about this later, totally attracted to Meg uh, first time I read this. It's like, oh, man, talk about that, let's put a pen in that. Uh, but, um... I think partly, too, it's because Meg and then many of the other characters who really become the heroes in this book, or at least move the story in, in a certain direction towards resolution, Meg, you know, starts as being described as this very, like, awkward loner, right, who's, um, who's got braces and glasses and stuff like that. And I thought, like, man, I can identify with this. Um, uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. And so, and so I think she... And then there's a point later on when one of these other main characters, I think it must have been Mrs. What's-It at that point, who says to her, well, what's going to actually help you, like, save the day is your faults, like your failures. Like, those are the things that when you actually grow into those or lean into those, those are actually, like, your gift at this point. But I wanted to say, so not only Meg, though, but many of the other main characters, so we get... Um, we get this Ant Beast later on, who's on another planet, got like tentacle face and arms and stuff. It doesn't ever mention if how many legs she has, so I don't know whether to think she's a hero or not. I uh, she's got so many, yeah, lots of arm tentacles. In it fact, does not mention how many legs she has. Pretty clear. I checked very closly. Oh she, she must have like 
um, a, a, non, a, a not countable number that's probably worth thousands and millions. I love that, Giles. <laughs> not a fan. This is the first thing you said tonight that I did not agree with. The more legs, the better, buddy. I've got you. You probably can't see. I have seven, actually. You probably can't see them under the. Yeah. Gross. Right? Look at those. You're terrifying. I'm thinking about getting two more. I feel like you have to go odd numbers because you have even numbers of legs. So it's like, oh, you're a spider. Oh, you're a. Oh, you have two legs, like a normal being. (laughs) Terrible. So ant bees, though. So so on that planet, they they have they don't have vision. They don't have human vision, and so they become this kind of other though, who, who really um, become vital to saving Meg and saving the story. You've got some others, um, this Mrs. What's-It, Mrs. Who and Mrs. Which, who all uh, are billions of years old and, and, and have trouble uh, materializing on a human plane. So the, the one has trouble speaking, so she speaks in quotes. The other one just never fully materializes. So again, you've got someone who's who's to some extent an other, so there's this like non-speech, this non-vision, and, and some of these characters who are kind of like non-gendered. Um, and, and so through all of those, it, it is these ones who you would describe as, as somewhat of an outsider who really advances the story. And I think that Meg steps into that at the end, and so I think that that's a reason that I really love the story and, and still do, I think. Uh, yeah, and the um, the... Uh, well, the the villain, I guess, the obvious villain is the dark thing, or it is what it's called, and it um, is, I guess, seated seated on a planet where every other being there, their mind is taken over, and they have to do exactly what it or the dark thing tells them to do. So they're really kind of subsumed into this higher consciousness, and I mean that's again pretty thinly veiled reference to why communism's bad, <laughs> as Giles let us know earlier. <laughs> Um, so, but it, it, sorry, okay. I mean I just had to. The, the first time that I knew for sure that the the dark thing or it was the obvious villain is when they go into this like domed room and Meg sees the thing for the first time. Sees it, which it is always capitalized it uh, in this book. Uh, she sees it and its form is it was just a big brain, uh, slightly oversized, which brains have no legs. Awful. Obvious villain. It's a red flag if I've ever seen one. Well, I was just going to um, mention, I think I probably read this when I was in uh, certainly the sixth grade. For those of you who don't know, I'm 930 years old, and I, uh, I'm originally from Earth, uh, but, you know, uploaded my consciousness through a series of physical manifestations now and survived long, long into the future, and it's weird to be back. Is, is this where we take a pin out of your crush on Meg? Yep. Okay. This is what we're getting to. Uh, so I, I was probably about sixth grade. I'm just going to preface and remember she's what, like 13? So I was in sixth grade. It's fine. Um, and uh, there, there's one scene in particular, the one that sticks in my head for uh, my uh, what prepubescent self in about sixth grade. Here's, here's about the most romantic thing I could have imagined. <laughs> Um, let's find the exact spot. So they meet these three women who are like, we don't know exactly what they are. They materialize out of space and they move these kids along to, to find their father. 
So Mrs. What's It, when they appear to them, they're all in human form. Uh, but at some point, um, Mrs. What's It transforms. Uh, I'll just audiobook this because uh, it's important later on. Uh, suddenly, before the children was a creature more beautiful than any man could ever imagine. Outwardly, no, let's see. Okay, she was a marble white body with powerful flanks, something like a horse, but at the same time completely unlike a horse. From a magnificently modeled back sprang a nobly formed torso, arms, and a head resembling a man's. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Not a Greek centaur. From the shoulders, slowly a pair of wings unfolded, wings made of rainbows of light upon water of poetry. Uh, and so then Meg uh, and her brother Charles Wallace, and then this this other kid uh, who was 14, Calvin, uh, they all they all ride on Mrs. What's It's back, and uh, there's specifically on page. Sorry, I want to get this right. Page 78. Uh, Hold on tight, Mrs. What's It said. Don't slip. Meg felt Calvin's arm circle her waist in a secure hold. Uh, so, uh, sixth grade me, uh, the most romantic thing I can imagine, uh, riding around on like a space centaur, uh, you know, and you know, first, first love. That's how it happens. Back to space centaur, thank you. That's what it would sound like, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Nailed yeah. it. Uh, do we have anybody else who wants to share their first loves? Yeah. <laughs> Hard to follow. I'm not saying that did happen, I'm saying that would have been the best case scenario. <laughs> All right, let's go into everyone's favorite segment, your worst moment. Uh, it's time to take a dark turn. Uh, Brent, what's your worst moment? We've already, we've already done this uh, the first time that we were here recording live. Brent had mentioned that, to me, away from the mics, that his worst moment that he'd mentioned then wasn't, wasn't really that bad. And he's got some, some worse ones. So we're going deeper. Hope everybody's ready for this. Uh, yeah, previously when John uh, cornered me with this out of, the, out of nowhere, I uh, had an answer, but it wasn't really the worst. Uh, and I think, I've, I think I've got one that was worse. Um, this is a safe space, guys. I just, <laughs> just told you about the space sensor. Um, so, uh, similar age, actually, now that I think about it, uh, and we had this, uh, uh, gym teacher, I don't remember her name, uh, but she was, like, super cool, right, so we all liked her a lot, uh, and, like, y you know, we're in middle school, we feel like we could just talk to her like a, like an adult who would listen to us, right? And, uh, and so one day, I'm sorry, guys, this is really bad, <laughs> um, she came, like, we all go to class, whatever. And we're like, hey, what's up? Uh, and I, because it just feels like she's a friend, I'm like, oh, you got a haircut. Uh, she was going through chemotherapy. <laughs> and that's been everyone's favorite segment. That's your worst moment. <laughs> oh, good. Right out of that segment. I don't have to go into mine. <laughs> Thanks for skedaddling right out of the worst moment corner. All right. Um, a few other things I want to talk about with this book. First of all, everyone should read it. Um, I can assure you of that. I want to talk to some more people who have read it. Oh, yeah. Who else has read it and would like to at least say anything that you remember about it? Because I feel like this is one that sticks out for a lot of people in their you know, childhood memories. Anyone prepared to do that? 
We can get everyone. Everybody up here. Everybody. Come on. Come on. Please do. So, our friend Amy. Hi. And what's your name? I'm Alex. Alex. When did either of you, when do you think that you read this? The thing is, I honestly can't separate my childhood into years anymore. It's an ambiguous space. anywhere <laughs> from first to third grade. Okay. Oh. <laughs> did you flunk several times? Was that a long time? Uh, what was your worst moment? Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, either if you're willing to share. <laughs> now that that segment's done. Brent, get out of us out of there. I think you're probably ready in like fourth grade. Anything in particular that sticks out? Just like in, if you were just remembering it, is there a scene or a moment that that sticks out in your memory? I think it's like in Who uh, Framed Roger Rabbit where uh, those tunes get run over by steamrollers. Right. I think that's how it works. Yeah. But I also read Flatland, that like, weird book about triangles and lines. Here's and the like, mention of Flatland. Yeah. We read that. Yeah. That's why I thought like, I was like, is it like Flatland? It's like triangles. Yeah. And also, I didn't remember this until I reread it. Um, but going back, I looked this deeper than about the number of male coming of age novels that was required to read because honestly, like 13 year old angsty men, I've, I've read a lot of them. Another thinly veiled reference to communism. That's true, but I. Well, I think that that ties in a little bit in terms of, you know, in America we could choose our religion, but in communism, no, you have to be an atheist. So that was like maybe I think they kind of went hand in hand a little bit. I mean, I would definitely say that since I was nine, when I read it, a lot of those metaphors and um, symbolism definitely went over my head. Uh, I agree. Like, none of that certainly <laughs> stuck with me from the first read. I was just thinking about that space. Well, I thinking about science. So when I read it again, I was like, where did this religion come from? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I thought the same thing. I mean, kind of like a Narnia, right, to some extent. Um, maybe, I mean, Narnia is maybe a little bit more blatant, even. Um, not, not that you know. I still, as I recall, love those books. But um, yeah, I think that this one—it's it, an interesting one for me with that because, um, on the one hand, you know, they're on another planet, or maybe talking to Mrs. What's it or whatever, and she's like, she's like, oh yeah, like you know, we get through too with like the stars and love and beauty, you know, and, and, and so, and so in that regards, it didn't like call out like, and we also have. I don't know. Like, there, there's a religious uh, undertone, but it, it kind of like weaves in and out in, in some weird ways. Right. It's like new age religion. Yeah. It's like Bible quotes and aliens. It's an audience. Yeah, I remember aliens. Um, you read it again. Yes. Okay. Uh, 
Uh, now it's time for your axe to grind. Uh, axe to grind time. I got an axe to grind. Why is Charles Wallace go by his full first and middle name the whole time? And Meg, you don't even hear uh, her middle name. I don't get it. And that's been your axe to grind. Um, Amy, Alex, would you mind uh, staying up here and having a local space-time perspective to help us answer some questions for the future? Uh, so these are questions that people, when they visited our pod on White Bear Lake, have written down for us and asked us to answer. And I just wanted to, um, because we were kind of just talking about this, uh, Emily and Josephine from Minneapolis, Minnesota on Earth, would like to know, when did the book of Margaret Atwood get added to the new Bible? You're going to love it. They, uh, they tried it again. Just rewrite a canon where you, uh, this time they tried it with some women. The Gospel according to Margaret. If you see any in there that you think are interesting and you would like to help address or you'd just like to throw out there to, uh, to the crowd, I think uh, let's ask some questions. Do we want to like prep that segment where we can read a few of them while I go into another segment? Is that is that doable? All right, it's time for everyone's favorite segment: the best vegetable to crash land in. Welcome back to what's the best vegetable to crash land in? I'm your host John Love. With me, as always, Brent Aldrich. Hi, Brent. John. Hey, Brent. On page two thirty one, did you notice that uh, they crash landed into broccoli? Yeah, I noticed that. Broccoli. Yeah. Broccoli. Right? So, Giles, what's the best vegetable to crash land in? I would say a carrot. Why would you say a carrot? Uh, because um, if, it's, um, if, it's right, um, if it's like the pointy part's down, you land in nice green fluffy. And if you're landing on the top, you'll just like crash land on the top and be like, boop. And it'd be funny. <laughs> well, I was going to ask more people, but Giles actually got the right answer. <laughs> so that's been, what's the best veggie to crash land in? <laughs> we got some questions. Anything interesting? We got one here um, from Lori, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Earth. Um, if you couldn't teleport in your time, what are the risks? Huh. That one is kind of related to this one a little bit. Because or uh, Meg has a uh, tesseract malfunction or goof when her dad tries to um, tesser out of the the dark place where they are, and she ends up paralyzed for a short period of time. Um, I don't know what are what are the risks. So I am actually holographic projection, so I can kind. Of, I have no corporeal form anyways, so there's really not a lot of risk for me. You manifest inside of a wall like that Stranger Things monster that scared me. <laughs> Uh, would you guys teleport though if you could? Yes, 100%. That's easy. <laughs> oh, see, I have that whole thing where if they took all my atoms apart and rearranged them, would I still be the same person? And I have to, I don't know. It's a question I can't answer for you right now. Point counterpoint over here. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> but otherwise, there's a follow up question of do you lose and transfer your body parts or memories and then what's that recovery process? And? What's going on in the synapses? That's the real question. And welcome back to everyone's favorite segment, What's Going On in the Synapses, <laughs> uh, with your host, Amy. Take it away. What's going on in the synapses? I mean, memory, like, every... It's 
can tell is very physically determined how close little brain cells are next to each other and how they communicate. As long as you did it with no mistakes, it would probably be impossible to tell if you changed or not. But you could avoid traffic. True. But like, <laughs> <laughs> stuff going on, I avoid that. But in the future, I'm sure they'll have quantum figured out. So. Uh, and that's been what's going on in those synapses. <laughs> Any other things interesting there? Do you have any tasks that you on Earth? That's complicated. Uh, now on Earth, no. Well, when was the last time you were actually alive on Earth? Uh, in this time. Because, as Brent mentioned, yep, so Brent was born in Indiana and then has since, you know, he, he's actually from roughly around this time, whereas, yeah, I was born about 150 years before we uh, we started podcasting, so. I left Earth before I procreated! <laughs> what? The next one. <laughs> Asks and answered. Any, any other questions? This one does slightly relate to the book. Will we still talk with our voices or do humans read each other's minds? And that is from Carbon Nature. That does relate to the book because, uh, yeah, it uh, just speaks to people directly into their heads as well. Yeah, what book did we just read where that happened as well? I feel like we read another one recently that was... Uh, Probe minds. Oh, the three body problem trilogy. Uh, those trisolarans. Uh, here's the thing about that. Uh, those trisolarans in the uh, we read the book, the three body problem at School of the Dark Forest. Sorry for that. That's a section of bore your guests to tears with references to books you haven't read. Um, but uh, there's another species on another planet, the trisolarans, who um, all have this somewhat hive mind and all think the same things. But so when they come to Earth. And they realize there's this thing called deception, and humans have the ability to deceive or just think one thing and say the other. I think that might be a uh, power that humans have. So, nope, we still have that. Still deceive. Yep. Got all the good questions. Well, yeah, we also are going to be answering more of those on separate podcasts as well, so we don't have to dig into all the, all the goodies. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being here. You're dismissed if you want to be. Otherwise, you can stay here. Thank you. I just have a couple more things I want to say about this. One, I'll get out of the way. Did you notice on page 198 that uh, Meg is called a little tadpole? Uh, I did. Did you notice on page 185 when there's a croaking noise? <laughs> yeah. Frogs are important in the future, everybody. That's what we're trying to say. Uh, so- this brought to you by Carolyn's Frog Flavored Kool Aid. It's the froggiest Kool-Aid in the galaxy. Ribbit. And we're back. So pretty early on, there's this line. So I think it is uh, Mrs. Who? Who only says things in quotes, or primarily in quotes, from Earth authors, or just other writers or, or thinkers. She quotes Pascal. Uh, it's a famous quote, which I'm not going to try to pronounce in French because I did that last time, uh, but it translates to, the heart has its reasons, whereof reason knows nothing. So pretty common, pretty uh, famous quote, I think, where the heart has its reasons. And, um, and I think that that was one that later on in the book, when we think about how the whole thing resolves, right, I think that that is ultimately, like, it could be, could be described as a shorthand message of this book, right? So 
what ultimately breaks it in this like throbbing hive mind, everyone thinks the same thing at the same time, does the same thing, is this idea of like a very strict, like reasoned, logical order um, that it can only be broken by love, right? And so the way that, without spoiling, uh, but uh, the way that uh, that this gets defeated, it gets defeated, uh, is is Meg's love, essentially. Um, and so I think that, you know, that's one of those things that early on in the book, you get kind of a sense of it later on. Obviously, it becomes very important. Um, this is not a reference that matters, but uh, that uh, Interstellar movie, they're traveling through Tesseracts, and it's, I could make the argument that, um, you know, that there's, there's some overlap between uh, old Matthew McConaughey 1.0 going after Murph uh, and uh, and this book in terms of how they communicate and, and tesseract through the dimensions, you know. So. Yeah, I'm not sure we should start keeping a better tally of all of the books that are basically solved by love. Yeah, there's been a few. There's a lot, turns out. Uh, yep. In the face of all this science, just gotta love. Um, all right, do we have any more? Any more things to talk about? Well, I mean, just related to that, too. I mean, I have to say, you know, there's another one of these sequ- uh, scenes where um, which talks about related, again, to that difference between, like, a very strict, we all think this thing. I mean, I think it's actually a, a pretty contemporary thing for this thing's time to say that it is actually, like, indifference that we can be, like, in common. So I th- Indifference? That's not what I said. I think that, uh, well, this idea of dissensus, right? So, like, we we don't all think the same thing. And, and in fact, if we did, um, that, that would kind of, the idea that, well, we all think this way, so therefore, you know, this outcome, this end. But I think this idea of, like, dissensus, which is like a kind of a postmodern Rancier sort of thing, that, that would say that we can all hold these different ideas in, in our heads. And, um, and, but it's actually in acknowledging difference that we share things in common, right? So, so like we can we can disagree, um, and actually lots of dissensus. Not to say like disorder or like um, I mean I think it's a different thing because dissensus implies that we have difference, um, but we come together in that difference, and like you and I. Uh, you know, in our in our my difference and your difference are able to come together that moment, and I actually think that that idea is embedded in here um, with saying like it is that difference. That Brent, I, Brent I think I think what you're saying with these last two points yeah. Yeah. is that love trumps hate. <laughs> I can see past your gross seven legs. Yeah, you know what, John? I think we're stronger together. Amen. That's been Giles' love gun. <laughs> uh, all right. Is it? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I think this has been good. It's time to take a look. It's in a book. Rating systems. Hi, welcome to Rating Systems. I'm your host, John Love. With me, as always, Brent Aldrich. Hi, Brent. Hi, John. Brent, we got a bunch of folks here with us today. Uh, but I'm going to start with you. What do you rate this book? Um, you know what? Uh, as I said, uh, I was pretty excited to actually come back to it and read it again. Oh, man. You know what? 
gonna give this uh, give this. You know what? One big love space centaur. Very good. Uh, as a tradition, clap after every rating. Uh, all right, Amy, what do you rate this book? An excellent fourteen-line summary. Wow. Can you recite one? Okay. Asked and answered. Uh, Alex, what do you rate this book? Ice cream sundae and a summer day. Yeah. Very good. And last but not least, Giles. Uh, 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 even though I haven't read this, I think I would give it, um, um, uh, if a rating of t- um, 10, I'll give it a 10 out of 10. Nice. High praise. Man, 10 out of 10. Read two paragraphs. I love it. Uh, all right. And I'm going to go with a solid, but not perfect, because love isn't perfect. And we are all a little different. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, 1.9 legs out of two legs. <laughs> and that's how we play rating systems. Take a look. It's in a book. Rating systems. Well, well, I think that's pretty good. Uh, I want to say thank you to everyone who is here tonight. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Beulah. Thank you, Giles. Thank you to our host, Bone Shaker Books, the coolest independent bookstore in Minneapolis and the universe. <laughs> yeah, thank you to our Shanty Projects, our other adoptive parents while we're here in, uh, in, in Twin Cities. They've been nothing but good to us. And with that, Giles. Are you ready to wrap? Because it's time to wrap it up. Got a sick extra, extra extraterrestrial beat going on here. Yep. 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 My name's Giles, and I'm here to say I like to. My name is Giles. My name is not Giles, and I'm here to say I rap this way like every day. Uh, I think that's it. <laughs> See ya. I think we did it. was around. Kind of. All right. Thanks, everyone. This has been this thing. You nailed it, kid. Great job. What's that? Yeah. Um, yeah, so you got to read this book. I dreamt of something.